Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This weekend at Augusta, it's the Masters. And with 50% off a now sports membership, you can catch every, 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 and every. Watch all four days of the Masters live with 50% off a now sports membership for three months, bringing you all 11 Sky Sports channels. Join in at nowtv.com. 18 plus, streamed via internet. Offer ends 2nd of May. Standard pricing after three months. Welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and I am joined today by the Director of Public Health at Sheffield City Council, Greg Bell. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Good, good, good to be here. Yeah, no, really good. Thank you. I'm sure it's been a busy few months for you. Well, the reason we um, we've got Greg on today really is because. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of the role of Director of Public Health. People like me who work in regional media and deal with you guys quite a lot and people who's, who kind of come, come across you in their day-to-day jobs, I'm sure, are aware. But I think probably before the coronavirus pandemic, it was maybe an unknown role to kind of the man on the street. Would you agree? Is that if you've been, you've been catapulted into the into the limelight since this has all kicked off, Greg? Yes, um, in in short, I've spent more time on the media, both telly and uh, radio and newsprint media, in the last six months than I ever have for the whole of my public health career to date. Um, <laughs> and, and we yeah, were we very, were just saying, yeah, we were just media. saying, weren't we, before you um before you came on that you've been at Sheffield four and a half years, and you were at Bradford before that doing public health work as well, and you can I can't actually remember how long you've been working in public health, so you've got a long old career behind you. It's, it's at least two decades. It's probably longer than that now. So um, let me just think. Yeah, it's probably getting on for three decades, actually. Um, so, um, um, yeah, it's a, a long time. And, and yeah, you, you're dead right. I've spent more time doing well, all directors of public health. I've not just me. I've spent more time doing uh, doing doing media work for, for recently. Uh, all, all of a sudden, public health become interesting and cool and sexy. Um, and everyone <laughs> wants to be a public health specialist. Uh, even, even my kids want to be public health specialists at the moment. So, uh, yeah, um, hopefully we'll make it live up to expectations when the pandemic is over as well. I think you're having a similar impact as um, I, I'm sure many listeners did as well. Watched the uh, Salisbury Poisonings documentary on um, the BBC a few yeah. a few weeks ago, and um, Tracy Dakovitz, the director of public health there, was I think similarly thrust into the limelight and uh, showing how important the job is. I suppose um, start off by telling us a bit about what the what the job is in I guess normal times and how that's changed since the coronavirus pandemic kicked off. What oh we're getting on. Six months ago now, aren't we really? But I'm sure you were aware of it before then. What's the, what's the job kind of like normally? No, normal times, peacetime. Um, yeah. So, 
to to create to create better health. There's there's an in, there's an interesting point. Uh, health, the man on the street test is that that health is something to do with the NHS. Um, and obviously, the NHS is a big national institution and does amazing things every day. No doubts about that. Most health is created from um, things that happen outside of the NHS, where we work, where we live, where we play, what we eat, what we do, what, what, how much we drink, um, whether we live in um, good or really poor housing, how, how wealthy we are. All of those things contribute to how healthy we are. Um, the NHS is pretty good at fixing people when they go wrong, um, but but creating health um, is something far broader. So that the the job of the contemporary director of public health is to um, engineer a situation in particular areas of service delivery or particular areas of policy to shift things so that so that the population is a wee bit healthier than it would be by the course of natural natural default um so um with with ex- experts in a few things but supposed to have a brief over lots of areas so my my boss frequently tells me that everything that happens in Sheffield contributes to how healthy we are or not everything mm-hmm. from jobs poverty and old old school stuff rats and drains the the uh, i'm still called a drain doctor by a fair <laughs> few people um, 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 everything from rats drains jobs and poverty through to the availability and the accessibility of good quality healthcare, and all things in between so the, the job of the dph is basically to kind of orchestrate all of that together um and to deliver some services directly, I do have some service delivery responsibilities as well, um, to, to generate a, a set of services and a set of policies that create healthier people. Um, and, and ultimately, as, as my boss frequently reminds me, the, the only metric that, that really matters in terms of health is healthy life expectancy. So a baby born in Darnall tomorrow can expect to get to about 50 in a state of good health that's what healthy life expectancy means rather than how long they live they probably live to about to about 70 um mm. but a baby born in door can expect to get to about 70 in a state of good health there's a 20 year difference in healthy life wow. expectancy so so as my boss as my boss tells me that's the thing i've got to resolve um easier said than done we all know that yeah, um, God, yeah. But, and that won't be addressed by better healthcare. it will be addressed by better health healthcare helps no doubt about the fact healthcare helps but um, um it will be addressed by um uh, better quality uh education uh, education affects life chances that's why why it's really important um so you know addressing the educational the edu- educational attainment gap is mm-hmm. a, a health intervention. It's not done in the name of health. Um, it's not done with the explicit objective of improving health, but the byproduct of it is healthier people. So what can I do to affect the education attainment gap? Um, stuff that we do for the st- stuff that we do in the very, very early stages of life, what our health visitors do to encourage um, speech and language acquisition, for instance, mm-hmm. or to encourage people to get immunizations or to uh, uh, the, the whole range of other stuff that health visitors do. That collectively contributes to the um uh, to, to to school readiness ultimately and school readiness eventually contributes to the uh, to the uh to the health gap so the 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 job of the the, the director of public health um is far 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 broader than most people anticipate most people think we spend our time dealing with coronavirus pandemics but mm-hmm. uh, but it's far 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 broader than that to be fair so most of us at the really. moment aren't doing much. yeah yeah. That's so, so interesting because we're not doing much sorry. else at the moment, apart from coronavirus. In normal times, we 
often I think hear from you guys when you're talking about maybe kind of drives to um I don't know for people to get their flu jabs or to get help with stopping smoking or to help people maybe lose some weight if 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 we're trying to get kind of obesity rates down but it's really interesting as well to hear about things like education because I'm not I'm not sure well I I definitely hadn't kind of connected those two things so it sounds like there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than people might initially recognize yeah no no and I, and I I won't pretend to be a, an expert in educational policy or delivery of services in that space but what happens in those spaces really really matters to how healthy the population is um you might flip it call it something else you might call it well-being nobody can quite define what well-being actually means no, neither can I by by the way um, but, but but ultimately it's the, the 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 contribution of everything that happens in the city of Sheffield contributes to how healthy we are or not um, schools schools education early year services transport air quality um, housing poverty all of those things contribute as well as as well as the things that are done in the name of public health vaccination immunization screening smoking smoking and tobacco policy um, the sexual health services you know those are the things I'm very much directly responsible for um, but then there's a there's a there's a much wider world which I'm not directly operationally responsible for in terms of service delivery but but it does matter so um to, to use a horrid phrase that no nobody understands what it means neither do I actually um, the job the job of director of public health is to be the system you know system leadership it's a system leadership role how how do we get a better Sheffield where being healthy where being being healthy is the default choice well, that's a nice bit of jargon, isn't it, to throw in there? We like a bit of jargon. So what's what's changed then since the pandemic has hit? I imagine, I mean, I don't know. I, first of all, I suppose, when did you first get a sniff that this might be something serious? I imagine quite a quite a little while before um, the rest of us. You must have an eye on an eye on what's going on. Yeah. So what what's changed? Um, it is that m- most public health departments up and down the country in, in every local authority um, are wholly focused on response to the pandemic at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and if, if, if you ever needed a, an articulation of why um, health and public health is important to economic and social, social outcomes, here it is. This is it. Um, you'll never get a better articulation than that, because if we get it wrong, then we'll all end up in lockdown with all of the economic and social consequences that comes that comes with that. So, uh, mm-hmm. so, 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 uh, accordingly, most of us are doing very, very little else apart from the direct response to, uh, to to coronavirus, which you know that will be ongoing. I think that will be ongoing for two years. I'd be surprised if it's not two mm-hmm. years. Um, mm-hmm. When did I first become aware? Um, so we all watched what was happening in Wuhan. In it would have been late December, early January, um, um, with great trepidation. You always watch new viruses with great trepidation. Mostly they fizzle out to nothing. Um, mm-hmm. But um, uh, occasionally they turn into something. You know, we saw with SARS 15 or so years ago and MERS from memory about five years ago, um, they, they did turn into something. Fortunately, both didn't turn into massive things. Um, MERS didn't turn into a massive thing because it, it was actually really, really quite virulent and it killed people mm-hmm. before it could spread too far. Um, but, uh, but but this one... Um, is um, the, the the vast majority of people who have this illness are, are quite well, actually. You know, you, although the, the the media is full of wall to wall pictures of in people in intensive care, 
the the the, the reality is most people are quite well um, mm-hmm. therefore it spreads and it spreads really readily so um uh, when when it became apparent that it was spreading um quite quickly most public health professionals just stopped dead in their tracks and said ah this one might be the big one um you know the the the, the, the that there would be a pandemic has been perfectly apparent for the past, well, 100 years since Spanish flu, basically. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, th- 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 these, these things are a matter of when, not if. They're always going to happen. So uh, so the, 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 the worry signals for most public health professionals started in um, mid to late January. Uh, from, from memory, the first couple of cases that we had in, in England um, were uh, late February, early March, but it was perfectly apparent that it was going to take off in a fairly big way. Um, what what was unknown was quite how how big the takeoff would be. You can mm. never predict those things in advance. But um, but m- m- most most public health professionals have been fa- fa- fairly engaged to very 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 engaged in this from uh, le- late January onwards. This must essentially be your worst nightmare i suppose as a director of public health to kind of to wake up to in the morning um well i, I don't know how to say this it, it, it's it's continually interesting it's it's quite challenging um i think is a, is a fair way to say it um but 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 i can't say it's boring and it's not a nightmare it's, it's what you're trained for um yeah. ultimately you know you always hope these things don't happen on your watch but um it has therefore deal with it um, um uh, and the the dealing the 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 dealing with it is time honored uh, time honored techniques of public health have a really really good handle on the data and the epidemiology um uh, quarantine quickly test a lot uh or sorry you test a lot first then quarantine quickly um the 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 the, the standard interventions that are now routinely in place you know, people are bored of hearing me whine on about distance and hand washing um, and things of that ilk. well and it's a bit dull isn't there a sexy technological intervention we have well there might be when we have a vaccine but until then you've got to keep washing your hands and sorry to keep droning on about it but it does make a difference it really really makes a difference so um, there, you know those are time on the tra- tra- traditions and techniques that we've used for time immemorial we've never quite used them on this scale before um, um, so uh, uh, and the, the ability to continue to use them on this scale will will you know we'll need to do that until we've got an effective vaccine my guess is the middle of next calendar year um there's a there's a very outside chance it might be this calendar year but i doubt it to be honest um so uh, so you know we, we're going to have to be in the space of old school public health for quite some considerable time to come yeah absolutely i suppose you touched on it a bit there about you know actually getting in and tackling this thing and it being what you trained for so what has been going on in yeah, well, in Sheffield, because obviously that's where you can speak for. What what have you guys been putting in place there? So, um, so so early on, Public Health England were doing contact tracing. There was a there's a there was a myth that Public Health England weren't doing contact tracing. They were. They were doing a lot of contact tracing actually early yeah. on, um, uh, and that that bought us a lot of time. It bought us time to prepare the NHS for what eventually happened. And uh, mm-hmm. cre- credit credit to PHE for it. Um, um, we 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 were and still are doing a huge amount of public facing communications in, in all sorts of shapes and guises in kind of traditional media, social media, and any any other format that we can get our hands on. Um, we, which is the, the the dull stuff: wash your hands, stay at home if you've got symptoms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all of that stuff that that, that you, you you'll have seen you'll have seen and will continue to see. Um, uh, eventually, um, nationally, we got to a stage where. Um, 
that there were too many cases, there was too much transmission for mm-hmm. contact tracing to be the most effective methods to control the spread of the virus. Um, if you've if you've ever done it, and I know you won't have done, but it's a really really labour intensive business because you know you for one case there's going to be. 10 contacts there or thereabouts particularly in a lot non-lockdown scenario where we're all, we're all going about our daily business there might be somewhere between 10 and 30 contacts so for that one case you've got to find and then phone up and have a detailed conversation with between 10 and 30 people it's a very labor-intensive business and if there are tens of thousands of cases you can't you know with all of the yeah. capacity in the world you just can't chase that down so we, we got to a phase where 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 lockdown um, became the least bad option actually you know lockdown was a bad option it has it's had long-lasting and social long-lasting economic and social harms there's no doubts about that those harms have have been inequitably spread those at the bottom of the pile will 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 have and will continue to fare worse that's not right that's not um, just but that is the truth um so um so so lockdown was was the uh, was the the kind of the second phase of the intervention and um my, my staff and lots of other staff from across Sheffield had a significant role in in pushing that so the environmental health teams were busy um pushing the uh the 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 lockdown in a range of businesses and the range of pubs and other establishments um and we put quickly put into place um, a range of support mechanisms for people that were recommended to shield that was largely mm-hmm. done by some of our staff um, and our, by ours i mean the council staff and i'll come back onto that in a second and uh, staff from a range of voluntary and community sector organizations who collectively did an amazing job to make sure that people who were recommended to and had chosen to shield didn't starve to death um, for the period that that they were they were effectively in their own homes. Um, mm-hmm. So you know that that was the, the, uh, achieved by um, a, a significant and very wide response from a range of staff that were for Sheffield Council and beyond, most of whom don't have the term public and health in their job title. Um, mm, so um, um, you know, most of whom have significantly broader roles than public health, but were redeployed into these roles, doing doing it undoubtedly saved lives more uh, uh, saved lives we'll never be able to see those count those but but what they did did matter and we we're, we're now in a phase where clearly we've we've come out of lockdown uh, lockdown has achieved the desired result um uh, i.e suppressed the virus um so you know we have in sheffield um in the order of t- 10 cases per day now there or thereabouts um mm-hmm. yeah that's really low um but it's certainly still non-trivial and it does accumulate day on day um, um but so, so we're, we're in the space of reopening the city at the moment but what we're doing is we're we're, we're following a pretty simple strategy the strategy is fourfold um keep keeping people safe um, protecting the vulnerable remains important because many people will still be vulnerable to the virus. It's still there. Um, only um, 5% of us were infected for, in the first wave. There or thereabouts, maybe 6% at a push. Therefore, 95, 96, uh, 95%, 94% of us are still susceptible. So there's still people vulnerable. Um, reopening Sheffield, because you know, we can't live in lockdown forever, and following government advice. So that, that's the strategy. So we're reopening Sheffield according to that strategy. Um, so w- and what we're dealing with at the moment, uh, from a, a narrowly defined public health perspective, is dealing with um, cases and outbreaks as, as they arise. It sounds like you're dealing with that really kind of on a local approach which has been 
quite a um it's, it's been a bit of a bun fight really hasn't there over how how this has been dealt with because no one's ever dealt with it before you know definitely yeah. clearly in recent years but it seems now there's been a bit of a shift from it being dealt with on high nationally to local is that is that kind of the case yeah there, there is a shift it, it, it and i'll there's a re, there's a reason for the shift it, it, it the um the, the the shift happens um Probably about eight nine weeks ago now, um, there was a there was a realization. I suspect there was a realization from government that that um, we, we've shifted. The epidemiology shifted from something that's very uniformly spread and a high level of transmission across the whole country to much more localized spread. That that can't be addressed from Whitehall across the whole of the country. Um, mm-hmm. So um, the, 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 there was a shift towards a to, towards a joint local and national strategy. It was very very welcomed by every local authority that I know. Um, I'm sure they're all in the same position. Um, mm-hmm. um, and at, at, at about the same time, um, Tom Reardon, who was the Leeds Council Chief Exec, was appointed mm-hmm. to be the uh, so what do they call it? The Senior Responsible Officer, the SRO for the for the <laughs> government's contain program. Um, yes. So Tom's a Tom's a council chief exec, um, uh, and I think what I would guess that one of the stipulations of of Tom's uh, Tom's appointment was Tom said I'll do this, but there has to be a big shift towards more more locally oriented approaches. So there has been a big shift towards um, lo- locally oriented, locally run management of um, cases, contacts, and outbreaks. Um, mm-hmm. And that's been very very welcomed. Um, it can't be done only by local. It can't be done only by national. It has to be a, a combination, a combination of the two. Um, so we're working uh, at the moment. Most local authorities are working on the how we localize the contact tracing capacity and capability, which you know is the NHS Test and Trace Service has done mm-hmm. good things. It's not perfect. You know, we know we all know there's uh, the areas of it that need to improve. Um, the, the key area that needs to improve is the ability to really, really get stuck into the communities that we all find quite difficult to reach. They're not hard to reach communities. They're communities we find hard to reach. Um, <laughs> so getting boots on the ground, for me, in Sheffield, in Darnall or Burn Grieve, um, in a way that only local trusted stakeholders and local boots on the ground can do, that just can't be done from a call centre 300 miles away. Um, we're, we're getting the operational model for that sorted with the NHS test and trace service. It can't be done separate to it. It has to be done with it, but ready for winter um, or autumn to winter because we know we know there's going to be an uptick in uptick in cases and uptick in incidents into the winter. And what everybody wants to avoid is exponential growth. Uh, that we saw we saw exponential growth in uh, cases in late February, early March, and you know, we've all seen what that can do. Um, nobody wants to go back there ever. So we're we're, we're getting our systems re- the uh, um, ready and for us in Sheffield they're just about ready actually um for 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 what we expect to be an uptick uptick in cases in winter and well definitely I want to speak about winter in a second but I'm interested really um in that in that local approach because I remember oh god it seems like a million years ago now but watching a um common select committee session where you were giving some evidence actually and it was it was you were talking about the data that you had access to now I know there was some back and forth about what data people had available locally has that kind of been cleared up now and yeah, is that it's, essential it's, to kind of getting not, into that local it's, approach it's completely essential um it's just about been cleared up with one or two caveats but um mm-hmm. but but um, and cred- credit to many who made it so it and a lot yeah. of people work quite hard to do that and one might say well that should have been sorted six months ago yeah of course it should 
Um, but but it wasn't, and we are where we are. So it is sorted now. Um, but yeah, yeah. So so I, um, I don't. It's my team. If people think I do all of this stuff. As as tra- to the, the the you picked up the Salisbury poisoning thing. You think you think that Tracy did all of that by herself? No, it's Tracy's team that did all of the work. Uh, the writing the public health are only as good as the teams that they've got. Mine are mine are a pretty good team. So my team do need access to um, you know, individual patient data. Um, yeah. Um, on who who has had a positive test and who their contacts are. Um, certainly, the who that, who's who's had a positive test because we do do checking on that, and we do in the context of an outbreak in a school or a workplace or or a community, we will do boots on the ground checking and testing. Um, and you can't do it without the data. So that that's that's just about resolved. I'm I'm working on getting access to the contact data, the data that's held within the the, the system that's known as CTAS, which is what NHS Test and Trace use. That will enable me to do the same level of contact tracing as NHS Test and Trace. My, my challenge is not to duplicate something that NHS Test and Trace has already done. But um, as I say, if I really, really want to get into communities that we find hard to reach, I'm going to have to put boots on ground, maybe do door knocking um, in, in in some communities, as, as, as Leicester have done. You know, Leicester have done it, Bradford have done it. Um, lots mm-hmm. of places that have been in lockdown in one shape or form have done door knocking. Um, I'm ready to do it now, but, but the, the last the last bit of data I need is the, is the contact data. Um, but as I say, um, um, it, it, the, the, the data picture has changed massively from when I, I, I can vividly remember the day I gave uh, evidence to the select committee, and it was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a world, it's a world, it's a world different to then. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's um, interesting as well that you've kind of mentioned Bradford and Leicester there, because there was a point, wasn't there, where I think the, the Prime Minister um, confused Sheffield with Leicester at one point. Oh. I imagine that was a fun 24 hours for you. <laughs> well, no, it, to, to be fair, it was it was de- it was dealt with in about three hours, but I, I didn't yeah. see the pre- I didn't see the press conference. Uh, somebody texted me, said um, the, the, the prime minister's just said something big's going off in Sheffield. Oh, oh, right. OK, cue uh, cue lots of furious um, checking and double checking and triple checking that there wasn't actually something big going off in Sheffield that I didn't have that I didn't happen to know about. Um, it, it took a, it took a few hours for us to get a statement up on the website. That's actually no, no, we'd like to reassure everyone there's nothing big going off in Sheffield. So, yeah, I do think it was a, 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 a well, I hope no, I now know with retrospect, it was a, an o- o- honest geography mix up. Um, so, um, uh, well, you have these things happen at the end um, um i imagine he's quite tired himself as well to be honest it was a, it, it wasn't much fun at the time but it was fun in retrospect and we can all have a laugh about it further down the line we can we can um so um, just a second ago you mentioned winter and kind of getting those systems up and running how yep. i mean it seems like a silly question i guess but how much of a worry for you is winter is this something that's keeping you up at night are you are you, yeah. are, you are you concerned about it yeah every dph in the country is concerned about winter um mm-hmm. so we know we know all all of the epidemiology says that there'll be an uptick in cases yes, schools are going to start from next week and schools have to go back uh, chief medical officer has been pretty clear on the science on that one N- not having kids in school is doing kids harm long to long-term harm in terms of their life chances and going mm-hmm. back to where we started at the start of the uh, start of the podcast um that matters to health so you know th- that does matter so schools schools are going to go back um when, when when humans mix with each other there will be transmission of virus the end um just, just basic basic virology 101 universities are going to go back and uh, both 
schools and universities, to their credit, have done a huge amount of work in terms of preparation and making those environments as safe as they possibly can, um, both the sort of the teaching environment and then for the universities, the campus environment or for the schools, the school environment. Um, but they can't be 100% safe. So there, there will be viral transmission. Um, the, you know, the vast majority of students, both the university and schools, are young and the epidemiology tells us very clearly that, that young people are actually quite well most of them will have symptoms and not even notice they've got symptoms our concern mm-hmm. is spread to spread to, to to gram basically because gram might not be so lucky um, and again the epidemiology says that the uh, the the chance of hospitalization is much 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 higher as you get older so uh, so that that's the obvious concern um the 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 job is to be exceptionally vigilant for cases, uh, you know, people who develop symptoms as uh, fr- from uh, school and or university settings to encourage them to get tested as soon as possible, to isolate if the test is positive, um, and to get the contacts either well found and then then, then found and then isolated. So um, there there will be arising cases, no doubts about that. There will be outbreaks, there will be flare ups. Um, but the, the job is early identification, early testing uh, and, uh, and quarantine or self-isolation, uh, according to the guidance. Um, the, so the, the big concern is whilst um, um, universities, the, the two of them in Sheffield, have done a, a, a sterling job in terms of preparation. No, no doubts about that. Students are students um, uh, and they'll all want to be out partying. Um, and we all know what student behaviour is like. So you know, f- finding ways to kind of in- influence that. So, you know, we're gonna you, you, yes, of course, be students, but be students safely will be a tricky job. So that that's one of the things that d- does keep us awake. Um, um, and the freshers' end, week might not be the same. No, <laughs> I don't. Well, I hope it won't be the same. I hope it won't be the same freshers' week as I had. I remember it well. Well, no, just about remember it. Um, so, um, yeah, no, I don't think Precious Week will be the same this year. Well, I sincerely hope it's not the same. So, um, yeah, we, we, uh, we got on, we got away from um, a sidetracked. Win, winter is a concern. The NHS is traditionally, uh, and social care, traditionally highly pressured in winter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so uh, the the the, uh, the not keeping as much pressure off the NHS as possible um, is is important to ensure there's capacity in well, ultimately to cut to the chase in intensive care to to provide treatment for those who are uh, uh, sadly hospitalised and then develop uh, the you know complications of the COVID that mean need, need to mean they need to be in intensive care. Um, so that that is a concern. We're, so we're, we're pushing flu vaccination really hard this year you know it's it's, it's important every year um, um the 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 3000 people a year there or thereabouts die from flu is is a travesty uh, particularly given that it's vaccine preventable by and large um so but this year it's really important um because flu and covid together don't mix particularly well um and flu is the flu is is the thing that that tends to cause a lot of the pressure um um so um, we're, we're, we're pushing flu vaccination quite hard uh, with a view to keeping keeping pr- pr- pressure off the NHS, but also with with a view to um, keeping uh, with the, the broad the broader push on infection control. We'll we'll keep coronavirus transmission as low as possible. The, as I said, the concern is is a period of exponential growth, uh, which we've seen what that can do, and we don't want to be back there. It's really interesting because like you kind of said, we're going to have this around for, you know, the next 18 months, couple of years. Do you think now we're better prepared, I suppose, for 
any kind of future outbreaks, any future pandemics than we were beforehand, because surely we've learned a lot from this experience kind of in our public consciousness. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. We've, we've learned an awful lot. We've got we've got better and more robust systems than, than we once had. Um, and um, the, 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 the ability to act at scale is markedly mm-hmm. different now. So P- P- Public Health England and my, my, my team within local authority, uh, are, are actually quite small scale. Um, people think I have thousands of staff and a giant budget. I've got about 25 staff. Um, and a relatively small budget. Um, it, it's been a. It's, it, you can never say that the coronavirus response has been successful because lots of people have died. So it's, you know, it's not been not been a success in any way, shape, or form. Um, but what has made a difference is the ability to deploy um, resource from all sorts of people that don't have the word public and health in their job title to achieve what we've achieved. And we, you know, we've we've, we've broadly done the right thing um, as as well as we can. Um, so. We've got a bigger capability to deploy and a bigger um, um, we've got more capability to to deploy at a bigger scale. And certainly, as you say, it's the 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 um, in technical terms, um, uh, this is a health protection incident um, just as response to a outbreak of Legionnaire's disease or Salmonella or E. coli is a health protection incident. Normally, those incidents involve about 20 or 30 people uh, push. This has involved tens of thousands of people. Um, so we've had we've had to develop a much bigger ability to respond on a much bigger scale. We've got that now. Um, um, so um, and we've got the systems in place um, and we've, we've demonstrated you know, beyond the sort of the direct response to COVID-19, um, we've demonstrated that you can fundamentally change the way that the council and or the NHS and or the way that universities or the way that schools operate can, can be done really, really quickly when there's a pressing need and a singular and a, and a singular focus. Imagine what we could do if you applied that same mentality to carbon and climate, for instance. Um, mm, yeah. So you, it's, it's been an interesting demonstration that, that when you've got a really, really pressing need, you have to respond to this. You can't not respond to it. Um, we, we, we can and have responded to it. Um, um, you could apply that mentality to all sorts of other things um, and should. We should learn you know, broad, much broader lessons beyond, beyond pandemics. Um, yeah, absolutely. A lot to think on once things calm down a bit. Greg, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really interesting to chat. Pleasure. Now, let's head over to our political editor, Robert Parsons, who is chatting with another of our local democracy reporters to find out what is going on on the ground around the region. Hi, so this is the part of the show where we talk about what's going on in the different areas of Yorkshire. It's um, We did Leeds a few weeks ago and then uh, York and it's uh, there's quite a lot of uh, the different parts of the patch to cover um so in into the month of september now that means that the silly season madness is over the business of politics resumes in earnest uh that's very much the case on the yorkshire coast where political leaders have a host of issues to get to grips with from deprivation and devolution to of course coronavirus and to take us through what's happening locally we're joined today by carl gavigan who is the local democracy reporter for scarborough carl how are, how are you doing very good, Rob. Thanks very much. No worries at all. It's good. To, it, it's good to have you. So you you've prepared um, five things that we need to know about uh, local politics in uh, in Scarborough on your patch, which is a. I know. I mean, you've been covering uh, Scarborough news for for how many years now? It's quite a while, isn't it? 
Yeah, um, I think I started about 15 years ago, um, went to London for five and then came back. So I think it's about a decade now in total. Wow. So you, you've seen you've seen lots of comings and goings, uh, I'm, I'm sure. So one of the big issues we've been covering a lot in the Yorkshire Post, and it's it's probably the, a topic that generates more letters for our letters page than anywhere else, is the issue of devolution in North Yorkshire and, uh, of course, the local government reforms that are required to make it happen. Um, so you've been following that from a Scarborough perspective. What, what do local politicians there make, make of the whole thing? Well, I think the first thing to say is that everybody seems broadly in favour of devolution, um, regardless of what party um, Scarborough's got now a Labour leadership as its borough council. Um, they're in favour of devolution. The Conservatives locally are in favour of devolution. The issue really is what that is going to look like. Um, the county council, which is conservative run, wants one large authority to cover North Yorkshire. Um, and that would leave York separate as its own unitary authority as it is now. Whereas the seven district councils in North Yorkshire essentially want to split the county in two along the A1 boundary. So you'd have four authorities on one side, four on the other, underneath the Metro Mayor. And that's really where... Um, we find ourselves at the minute, which is both sides presenting their case, saying this is the one we think should go forward. And I think it's fair to say it's getting a little bit heated. Yeah, yes, I think that would be fair to say. I mean, I you probably know better than me, having covered uh, local politics for, for all this time. But I, I, I'm struggling to think of an issue that's uh, sort of split politicians in quite this way for 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 some time like the, the the arguments are really getting quite quite fierce aren't they yeah i mean we had the county come out and say that its plan to scrap the districts would save 25 million pounds a year the district councils responded by saying their plan to get rid of the county council would save 56 million pound a year and then i think last week the national county council network said that if you got rid of every district council in the country you could save around three billion a year so it just seems like each each week brings a new figure on which way is the best but um yeah i mean it's even divided some parties down political lines you've got um labor in scarborough who are very much in favor of the east west as it's called split uh, but then you've got labor in york who very much want to see york kept on its own as it is now um and it's 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 a, it's a strange one because it's brought the district councils together which are a mix of independent labor and conservative run authorities who have all come together to say actually we don't want this county council plan um and the reason that, that they're not in favor of it is just on sheer scale um i don't know if anyone's who's listening has actually sat down and looked at a map of north yorkshire but it is such a large place it runs from scarborough obviously on the east coast and it goes covers two national parks and essentially stops about 15 miles from the Irish Sea um, and it runs from Teesside in the north to essentially just in, just before Doncaster in the south. It's such a big geographic area and the district council's fears is that it's simply too big to be run as one authority. Yeah, I think that's, that, that's, that's definitely true. I mean, I guess the thing that's perhaps easy to lose sight of in this whole debate is the whole reason why we're talking about local government reforms in North Yorkshire is that this is a precondition uh, imposed by the government for the the de- devolution deal, which uh, obviously everyone in North Yorkshire uh, realises is, is a good thing because it would put North Yorkshire on a sort of level playing field with the other areas of the country which have metro mayors and these devolved powers and all the extra funding 
that comes with it. And it, obviously you only have to look uh, a few miles north up to the Tees Valley and Ben Houchin, don't you? For he, He's got more more extra powers and funding than he, he knows what to what to do with. And I think North Yorkshire leaders, they 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 see the difference between what Ben Houchin has and what they have. And they want a, they want a slice of that action, don't they? Yeah, I think, as I say, I think the one thing that everyone can agree on is that devolution is the way forward. Um, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. As you say, the level of funding that can come in from getting the Metro Mayor um, from having a unitary authority is so much more. And especially in the wake of coronavirus, the the region desperately needs that funding. It, it is just simply coming down to what that new power structure going forward is going to look like. And it's going to be a lot of backward and forth, back and forth now for a while. Um, I think the bids were due to be submitted this month, so uh, my understanding is it might be pushed back now till October. Um, so it, each 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 area is now sc- scrambling to try and get their their bids done. They're going out and consulting with the public and trying to find out exactly what people want. Because um, I do think that's one of the issues that, that, especially the districts, I would say, are struggling with is just trying to get out and engage with people. Um, devolution is such a big issue, but I'm not I'm not sure from my conversations with people whether it's actually cutting through to the person on the street fully understands what devolution is and what it would mean for the county. Yeah, I think you could be right there. I mean, I I, I know people in in North Yorkshire who uh, they understand that uh, you know the council administers their their services and they talk about the council when they complain about potholes and things like that but I'm not sure they necessarily differentiate between their local district council in this case Harrogate or and the the county council I think they just see the council as one sort of a generic uh, body and so they might not necessarily uh, you know the average person be uh, distraught if that system was uh, reformed somewhat but uh, I guess we'll see when the consultation happens and people get a chance to have their say on it Um so this I mean, that's obviously an issue that's going to run and run for uh, weeks and months, uh, much like uh, coronavirus, which is uh, going to be with us for the foreseeable future, I think it's fair to say. Um, what's, the, what's the situation in, in, in Scarborough in terms of uh, the pandemic and its, you know, it, its prevalence and its, its impact locally? Well, Scarborough has been the worst affected area in North Yorkshire, which sounds bad. But when you compare its figures overall to the rest of the country, it's actually it's actually done pretty well. It's not it's not had any major outbreaks. I think it's at this time we're recording this. I think it's up to five hundred and seventy eight total cases, which which is the most in North Yorkshire. But when you look at other areas, that's, that's really quite low. Um, the main impact has been obviously the closure of businesses. Scarborough is a seaside town. This borough with Whitby and Filey as well obviously relies a lot on tourism and that just disappeared over the summer. There was there was just nothing. So a lot of businesses now are looking and saying, how can we recover from this when perhaps people are still a little bit nervous about coming out? We've seen there have been very busy days in, in recent weeks, but I, I say still not reaching the level you would normally see in a summertime in Scarborough or Whitby. And it, it's going to be tough. There's businesses closing. Um, we've seen Pizza Express go, Pizza Hut go. It's not just a pizza thing, but they just seem to be the, the latest two that have closed in the town. And, and a few independent businesses as well have just have said they won't be reopening following the pandemic just because they've, they've lost so much in the last few months. So the council is really, Cyber Council is, is really now trying to look at how it can 
recover from the pandemic and it's just launched something it's called its Building Back Better scheme, which is a way to try and perhaps transform Scarborough High Street and Whitby High Street and Filey and try and make better use of these spaces, encourage people back into the town centre with, with perhaps even more living in the town centre, making use of empty spaces. Um, and so it's it's going to be a very tough project. It's going to be um, a long project. It's not going to happen overnight. But I think what everybody wants to see is just a way forward where Scar- an area that relies so heavily on tourism can see a way forward and just how it's going to come out of come out of the uh, pandemic and just recover and get, let, give people their livelihoods back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you hear, don't you, about, well, pretty much everywhere in the country is having local decision makers are having to have some pretty tough conversations about how do we, what does the future for our local economy look like on, on the assumption that, uh, you know, numbers going into town and city centres is going to take a long time to get back to what it was before, if it ever does. And I suppose that's as acute, if not more acute, in uh, sort of seaside places like Scarborough. And obviously, Scarborough Borough, um, you know, relatively speaking, has some pretty significant pockets of deprivation, doesn't it? Which presumably means, it, you know, it, it's more more vulnerable to the, you know, the, the debilitating effects of the of the pandemic. Exactly. I think. Um... The last, the last time I checked, Scarborough had nine of the most eleven deprived wards in North Yorkshire, um, and its its deprivation score it was given is double that of anywhere else in North Yorkshire. So it, it, it this is again comes back to devolution and the pandemic and everything. It's just what is best for Scarborough to help people here. I mean, to put it bluntly, um, people born in Scarborough will live a shorter life they'll live an unhealthier life and they'll earn less money than somebody born in Harrogate um just a few miles up the road essentially and it's how how does how do you recover from that and that, that's what they're going to be looking at because um three wards in Scarborough Eastfield Barrowcliffe um they're among the worst one percent in the country not just in North Yorkshire in, in England for for levels of deprivation so there really is a big task and that is why coronavirus um was, has had such a big impact compared to the rest of north yorkshire it's just scarborough's level of deprivation is 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 like nothing else in the area and the borough council in its plans is saying we need to start addressing this now um not when devolution happens in 2022 2023 um it needs to be started now because we can't wait that long we can't twiddle our thumbs and hope that it just gets better. We've got to start doing this now. So they're looking at um, plans to bring skilled jobs into the area. They're working with Coventry University, who have a campus in the town, to try and expand the student offering here, um, to try and just get skilled jobs and keep young people in the town. Because a big issue locally is that people get to a certain age in Scarborough and they go off to university and they might never come back. So there's a Scarborough has a very high average age of the population as a borough, but a lot of its young people are being lost, and it's and it's that generation that they're trying to keep here now to try and get money flowing back into the economy and try and raise the standard of living in the borough. Yeah, and it, it, it come. I mean, the challenges you talk about come through in a number of different ways. I know we we in in the Yorkshire Post this weekend we did a a big piece about uh, opportunity areas. These are areas of the country that get a load of extra central government funding to boost 
educational outcomes. And one of the challenges they were looking to address in on the Yorkshire coast is the uh, a lack of teachers uh, to to teach in the local schools. And so there was a concerted effort to recruit teachers from other parts of the country, uh, and they managed to get a few dozen extra uh, teachers in. Uh, but obviously, that you know that that was something that they really had to try quite hard to do. And I guess it's all it's all. A, all, all these problems sort of uh, link in with each other, don't they? It's uh, it, it's not just one thing that's uh, that's that's causing it, and and that brings us on to the the next thing you, you've you've raised, so the topic of culture uh, and entertainment provision in Scarborough and Whitby. So there's this one word, uh, futurist, which might not be a big, might not be well known by people outside uh, the local area, but explain to me the saga over the futurist. Well, um, in 2017. Scarborough Council voted to demolish um, the Futurist Theatre, which was a, a large building on Scarborough's South Bay, very prominent right on the seafront. Um, it was a it was an old theatre. It played host to acts like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Ken Dodd, proper, sea, proper what you think of seaside theatre. Um, the problems with it were that it kind of run into financial trouble. The council had bought it out of... Um, on the brink of brink of bankruptcy a couple of times and essentially the council just didn't want to run it any longer and were losing money and wanted something to do with it so a proposal came to demolish the building and look to build something in its place Um, and this provoked a very very big local reaction it was a it was a very big story for a while. I think 6,000 people signed a petition to try and stop it. There was campaigns, there was legal challenges. Uh, and eventually it went to a vote and the vote to demolish it passed by a single vote. And that was a Labour rebel who voted with the Conservative administration against her own party's wishes that passed the demolition. And ever since then, it's been a very contentious issue in the town. Um, just this week, as part of its... Uh, building the better borough um, that we were talking about earlier, Scarborough Council published some responses to a consultation it had held in the town. Um, and this was about what people thought of the council. And a lot of the responses came back to this decision to demolish the futurist, which ended up, they have demolished it now, it's gone, and it cost the council in the region of four and a half million pounds to demolish it at a time when it's struggling financially. Its shortfall from the pandemic is expected to be around 12 million pounds, possibly. Um, and it, they've signed a deal with Flamingo Land from Rydale to build an attraction on the uh, site, and that's not really gone anywhere. It was a deal that was struck by the previous Conservative administration, which lost power in 2019. And the new Labour administration has essentially now put that deci- put that plan back out. It's kind of gone back to Flamingo Land and said, this isn't really what we want for the area because their proposal was for more of like a theme park with a roller coaster and a, like a, a space shot tower which would shoot people 60 feet into the air. Um, and it's kind of gone back and said, this isn't really what we think is appropriate for this site. So it's it's kind of sat in limbo. And it's, it's a prime site on the seafront with nothing happening. And I think it sums up a lot of people's fears and concerns about the borough in that this is a seaside town that should have seat it should have attractions for people to come and see and this is now three four years down the line and nothing's happened and then we've got in another part of scarborough there's a cinema that's now three years overdue that work hasn't started on uh, it might surprise people to know the entire borough of scarborough has no actual cinema 
just doesn't have one. So it's just <laughs> people go to Rydale or they go to Teesside if they want to go and watch a film. Um, and the Scarborough Spa, the big um, entertainment venue and Whitby Pavilion, in, they're both currently closed due to the coronavirus. So for an uh, area that relies heavily on tourism and culture, it, it's, it's just a real void at the minute in Scarborough. And it, and it is causing a lot of concern locally, as can be seen by three years on from the future's been demolished. People in a consultation held during the pandemic still listed it as one of their biggest concerns. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it does paint a, a pretty bleak picture. I hope, I hope they get that sorted out sooner rather than later. Um, one, one of the other things I think people would, 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 would notice when they come to Scarborough is uh, the, uh, the, the flying creatures all around that, that uh, might be coming for their chips or uh, just generally making a lot of noise. Um, seagulls uh, and the, the, the battle for the future of, of, of streets in, in, in Scarborough Borough is actually is, is a pretty big issue, isn't it? What, what's, what's going on with that? Yeah, it's always been a big issue. I mean, there's the argument always about who was there first, the seagulls or the humans and the seagulls probably. But um, yeah, I mean, the issue is around the seagulls in Whitby, Scarborough, Filey. They do tend to nest in buildings, they nest in the town centres. And just by that, it means there's a lot of droppings essentially in the town centres, which it gets very dirty, it gets very smelly in the summer. And it seems that there's always complaints from people saying it just looks a state. And they're right. The high streets have looked a mess. It's been something the council has been battling with for a while. They've installed netting in different places. They've installed um, like spikes on buildings that are supposed to discourage seagulls. But in reality, seagulls just make their nests on top of them. So it doesn't really do anything. Um, And it came to a head recently when a lot of pictures started searching surfacing on Facebook taken by people who'd visited Scarborough, just showing streets caked in seagull mess, uh, droppings everywhere, stories about people falling over, seagull attacks. Um, And so the council has gone out and it's purchased some new steam cleaners. It's brought in a a firm to clean the streets every day. Um, And it's just trying to really get on top of it. But it's, I, I, I think as we were talking earlier, this is, these are tough times for any authority and whether they can afford to keep cleaning the streets every day is uh, is up for debate. So I think they're really trying to press home with businesses in Scarborough and Whitby and Filey is that can can you help us by perhaps taking a bit of pride in the front of your shop and maybe if there is some mess there, could you clean it up or will you install netting on the front of your building and just try and help to move the seagulls on. Um, in recent years, there's been various measures that have been done. They've bought in birds of prey that have been used to circle different areas to try and move the seagulls on. They've removed um, eggs from nests, which they're allowed to do humanely. Uh, but that's kind of the limit. See, uh, gulls are protected. You can't just you can't just cull them, as some people have asked for. Um, so there has to be a there has to be a humane way to either move them on or get them out of the town centres, perhaps to say the cliffs around Scarborough and Whitby again. Uh, but it's it's really just a running battle. I mean, it's perhaps one that you could say they'll never win. The goals will always be here, but it's just trying to find a way to to maintain that balance between having the goals, but also having some towns that look presentable um, and just people feel safe. That, As you say, they don't have to worry that they walk out of... Um, somewhere with a sausage roll or a tray of chips that they're not going to have a goal swoop down and grab it out of their hands, which does happen. That's not a myth. It's, it does happen and it happens quite a lot. Yeah. 
Well, I think, uh, yeah, but the, I guess the aim is that we can find a way that uh, man and seagull can live in perfect harmony in uh, in, in Scarborough in, 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 in the future. Well, Carl, that is absolutely fascinating stuff. There's a lot a lot there that I didn't know. Uh, and so, so thank you again for your time. Um, so we'll be back again um, in a couple of weeks with more uh, news from local democracy reporters around Yorkshire. So thank you very much and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to find this podcast in your podcast app, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and leave us a review. It really helps to boost us in the charts and helps other people to find us. You can also share and subscribe to the podcast in those apps as well. And we'll be back next week. See you then. This weekend at Augusta, it's the Masters. And with 50% off a Now Sports membership, you can catch every, 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 and every. Watch all four days of the Masters live with 50% off a Now Sports membership for three months, bringing you all 11 Sky Sports channels. Join in at nowtv.com. 18 plus, streamed via internet, offer ends 2nd of May. Standard pricing after three months.